it was a little inn by all accounts. But as the surrounding town was proportionately smaller still, it more than served its purpose. In the evening, its insides glowed a warm amber color, fed by the large fire, numerous candles, and lamps held in sconces on the wall. Even the smell was different to the other places James frequented. Where most places smelled like its burly locals, the overwhelming odor here was a deep but sweet pine fragrance, like that of the forest. And when the room was sufficiently warmed, it was joined by a rich, winey aroma from the ghosts of many past spilled drinks. The place felt comforting, a sentiment seemingly shared by all its guests, for as long as he had been visiting, James had never known a crossword be spoken between any of the fainting maid's patrons. The landlord, Fergus, was a squat but kindly-faced man. He was young, younger than James himself by maybe ten years. The short frame and easy-going manner would doubtless be mistaken by some as cause to think he would be particularly easy to push around. But James could tell that beneath the convivial attitude, there was a muscular and capable man who had probably ended more fights than he had started. As such, he had taken to befriending the man early on in his visits, so that he would never have reason to face him should ever the need arise in the future. When James had arrived at the fainting maid that evening, Fergus gave him a quick wave of greeting between serving a couple of men already at the bar, and threw a nod over to James's usual table, which was unoccupied. Most customers did not like to sit at this table, as it was only able to seat one person, but it was also the furthest from the fire, and therefore was colder and more dimly lit than other places. But that was the way James liked it. Solitude was his friend, and from this vantage point, he could keep a watchful eye on the room, a virtue he placed above all others, especially on nights like tonight. He had finished dining, and for the last half an hour had been sat pretending to enjoy the sounds of the musicians, with his leg jumping up and down in agitation and his hand constantly fidgeting with his watch. Every few moments, he would remove the watch from his pocket and surreptitiously check it, only to find that merely a minute or two had passed, and he would pocket it again in frustration. All the plans had been laid. Everything was prepared. Outside, his horse, Bly, was ready with newly fitted shoes. The sky was clear enough. His new cloak was as dark as the night. His knife was securely sheathed on his belt, and in his bag waited his mask and his brace of pistols, loaded and ready. He had been eyeing this evening's quarry for a long time, and after learning that they had a pending engagement in the neighboring village, he had greased the palm of their driver to ensure they would take a particular route home. A quieter route, one less traveled by others. James would be waiting for them. 
and there he would be ready to do what he did best. Allow these wealthy denizens to pay him everything they had. Money, jewels, clothing, all of it. All while staring down the barrel of his pistols before he flew off into the night on his horse, where they wouldn't see even a whisper of him for months. That was the plan. Now all he had to do was hope that the bastard driver wouldn't double-cross him. Pocket the money, but still lead the carriage on its usual route, leaving James sat waiting in the dark for something that would never arrive. Or allow James to go through with the whole thing, only to pull his own weapon, kill him, and drive off with everything for himself. He could even warn the family of James's intentions, and when James opened the carriage doors, he would find the entire local constabulary instead of a couple of elderly aristocrats. All these scenarios ran through James's head, and his legs continued to shuffle nervously. But he could do no more than wait. If only the damned time would go faster. As it transpired, he ended up leaving a few minutes before he promised he would, for the sky outside was now sufficiently dark, and nothing further could be achieved by waiting longer. He deposited a few coins on the table and walked out as discreetly as possible in an effort to avoid all attention. He stepped out, unhitched Bly from the post, and walked with her through the darkened streets. The wind was unseasonably keen. The weather had finally been improving after weeks of lingering winter chill and tonight the breeze carried a warmth that rendered it pleasant enough despite its force. James pulled his hood up over his head, and then held his cloak tightly around him with his free hand. However, this motion was not just for protection against the wind. The road out of town followed a natural wall on one side, and on the other, among the few disparate buildings to be passed upon entry or exit, was the church. So placed in order for it to be the first thing visitors or returning residents could find upon coming home, leaving their sins behind them and the devil outside the gates. Despite his gruff appearance and all that he had done, James was a superstitious man, and he had a dread fear of passing that church, for it also meant passing by the graveyard behind it. During the many years he had spent engaging in highway robbery, there had been rare occasions where the jobs didn't go according to plan, and he had killed those he had intended simply to steal from. Now as he passed by the small graveyard, he fixed his gaze ahead of him and positioned Bly as a barrier between him and it, so as not to be able to look into it for fear that he would see visions of the dead standing there among the tombstones. The men and women he had killed stalking toward him, their skin a deathly pallor, filled with sadness and anger, judging him as he walked and feeding off his shame. In his most vivid nightmares, he sees them pulling him down into the earth to eternal damnation. 
so he kept Bly beside him, and his eyes fixed forward. It was a blessed relief when he finally passed the church grounds and crossed the town's border. He quickly mounted his horse and commanded her on in a gallop, being sure to not even glance behind him as they rode out toward their dark task. The route on which James had instructed the driver to lead the carriage cut through a local woodland, a path he had discovered by accident and used once or twice before, but had stopped as the old road was so forgotten and unused that it never rendered any worthwhile results. But instead of giving up on the location, he chose to use its remoteness to his advantage and came up with the plan he would use tonight. He knew that as soon as he made his move, that the road would no longer be trusted, or become usurped by others of his trade, and therefore useless to his needs. So, he was careful to make sure he chose the right job, one where the reward would eclipse any risk put forward. This evening, his patience and planning would pay off, as long as that damned driver didn't double-cross him. As he rode to his position, the trees wound their way in coils at either side of the road. In the moonlight, he could see the first, maybe the second layer of trees, but the darkness beyond that was impenetrable, perfect to hide in. James came to a long stretch of relatively straight road and decided it would be the ideal spot to set up. He dismounted Bly and from his saddlebag he pulled out a small mallet and a stake, which he proceeded to hammer into the ground at the edge of the road. He then tied Bly to it, guiding her so that she stood lengthways across the road, creating a barrier to prevent the carriage from progressing any further. James didn't have to guide her much, though. As they had done this so many times before, she knew the routine, and more or less assumed the position herself. The plan was to have the equine barricade stop the carriage, so James could then emerge from his hiding place down the path and ambush them from behind, where he would take everything they had of value, free his horse, and ride off into another town to hide. Bly gave a disgruntled snort, and he stroked her softly. There was rustling in the undergrowth, as some small creature scurried away from the new arrivals, and James wondered if he would have to shoo off any other residents while he took up his position. He gave one last stroke to Bly, then feeling the familiar tingles of anticipation work their way into his stomach, he grabbed his bag and started down the path to lie in wait for his prey. The well-worn, dark leather mask sat in its familiar place on his face, slipping easily into its grooves and contours and covering everything around his eyes. The hat hid his bare scalp, so he could not by chance be identified by that feature either. His pistols waited by his side, and he had found the perfect position to hide in, just outside of the visible tree line as not to be seen, but close enough to the road to be able to act swiftly when the time came. 
Everything was how it should be, except that the carriage was not there. There had been an hour between when James had arrived and when the time had been arranged for the carriage to come. It was now late enough that the moonlight was directly above the road. It would have been the perfect visibility for taking the carriage. Any longer and he would lose the light, making his job all the more difficult. Cursing under his breath, he reluctantly decided to light a match to check his watch. The driver was late by more than fifteen minutes. He spat out a grunt of annoyance and started to sweat. They're just late, that's all, he thought, though not convincing himself. James was shaken out of his reverie as the overwhelming silence of the night was broken by a restive whinny from Bly, which rapidly changed to a distressed cry. At first he didn't know what to think. It wasn't like Bly to get spooked. Then he thought, the driver, he's betrayed me and they're seizing my escape. He tried to think tactically, but came to the conclusion there was no point. He could hide, but there was no way he could survive a period of waiting out in the woods with what he had. He also couldn't manage a walk back to the nearest town. Bly's cries became more anguished. They sounded like screams. There was a cracking sound, and something else that James couldn't identify. Then, Bly's screams gurgled and gradually ceased altogether. James heard the unmistakable thud as her body hit the floor. They've killed her. Rage filled him, and all thought of strategy left James's mind. He had all he needed with him. He wasn't going to let them take him without a fight. He would avenge his fallen companion. He raced from the trees and onto the path holding both pistols ahead of him and letting out a cry of anger that came from deep in his chest, hoping the shock would disorient them. Instead what he saw, under the pallid downpour of moonlight, made him stop still in his tracks and the war cry sputter out on his lips. There, next to the body of Bly, was a towering creature that James had never seen before. It crouched on all fours, its face close to the horse's throat. James had clearly interrupted this thing's meal, and it now fixed him with two large glowing eyes that seemed to absorb the moonlight. It was long, longer and taller than the horse would have been were it still standing and its torso was as lean as a greyhound. Its limbs stretched out and were almost oversized for its body, ending in appendages that were not paws, or hooves, or even hands. In fact, there were no words for what these could have been. James had never seen anything like them before. But at the end of each of them were two distinct claws. The great head, which was now turned to him, was deathly white, 
and appeared fleshless. Where the nose should have been, there was only a great cavity with sharp, bone-like points protruding like small tusks on either end. It held a crown of large, winding antlers of a different, darker color. To James, it was like looking at the gigantic skull of a deer, alive with breath and eyes and a moving, hungry jaw. The tough man of many highway raids was dumbfounded, frightened to make a move. The beast continued to watch him. At first it seemed reluctant to leave his kill, yet its body was poised in a way that could spring into a run at any moment if it got excited enough at the prospect of adding a second meal. James's breath quickened as his fear grew, and in a desperate panic he cried out once more and fired one of his pistols at the monster. The sound of the shot and the feeling of the bullet did nothing to deter the great creature, but boil its excitement over. It started for the highwayman. James fired again, but this time the bullet completely missed the target. Both guns were now spent, and any form of defense between him and this great, hellish fiend was gone. He shouted into the night and bolted, running like a whip. His cloak billowed behind him in the keen wind, slowing him down. His hands fumbled at the clasp, but he could not keep moving and undo the cloak quickly enough to maintain the distance between him and his pursuer. He glanced behind and saw that the creature was gaining on him quickly, its long limbs moving easily, not even showing signs of strain. James cried out again and tried to quicken his pace, but the cloak kept slowing him down. Then a thought came to him, and using the last of the distance advantage he had, he changed direction and sprinted into the woods and the dense winding trees. The forest would provide protection from the eager wind, the darkness would allow him to hide from the creature more easily, and the beast's great body would not be able to move as speedily through the narrow thicket of trees. This would be his best means of survival. The creature let out a noise that felt closer than it should have been. Not a roar, but something small and curiously communicative, as if it were speaking. James hoped it wasn't sending a message to another of its kind, ready to ambush him from inside the woods hoped that he hadn't just run into a trap. If he were not so focused on keeping himself moving, the irony would not have been lost on him. In the trees, James could hear it more acutely. The patter of the beast's long limbs thudding off of the earth, and the rasp of its breath as it kept pace. The trees didn't seem to slow it at all, and it wasn't losing track of him. It's impossible, he thought. He stole a glance behind him, and all he could see were the two great glowing orbs of the beast's eyes dancing through the darkness. He gurgled with panic and willed himself to go faster. When he looked ahead, he saw something else before him. Several shimmering shapes of light 
hazy as mist, but becoming clearer the closer he raced toward them. His scream of horror echoed throughout the woods as he clasped eyes on the spectral images of all those whose lives he had taken in his days of profiteering at the end of a gun. There were more of them than he thought. They littered his way as if lighting a path, one on either side, spectators on the grimmest of sports. Their expressions were inscrutable, indifferent even. His anguish, the desperation of his plight as this creature hunted him down made no difference to them. There was no pleasure, no pity, nothing. They were endless. As soon as James had passed them all, the parade would start again. He could not escape them. The breathing behind him got closer still. James shouted out once more and changed direction again hoping to escape the pathway of ghosts before him, but they appeared there as well. The sound of scraping earth came from behind as the creature skidded to match James's direction. He had bought himself valuable seconds. There was light ahead. His legs were ready to give out, but he gathered all the strength he could muster and darted towards it, wanting to escape the gaze of his victims so closely gathered around him. He reached out his hands, and like a drowning man breaking the surface of the ocean, James emerged back onto the road, straight into the pathway of the carriage. The horses plowed into him and knocked him to the floor, their great hooves trampling him, breaking bones, before the large wheel of the carriage rolled over him, snapping his back, then hit the ground with a crack, sending the carriage toppling onto the ground. Days passed before the road was used again. The people who discovered the accident site only found the ruined carriage. There was no sign of a person or a horse that may have accompanied it, as if all had vanished without a trace. Investigators who came to inspect the site found marks in the surrounding dirt on either side of the road, like something heavy had been dragged across the ground and taken deep into the woods. There was blood on the carriage too. And though it was likely caused by the crash, they were startled to find gouge marks and scratches along the body of the coach, as if made by two great Clause.